just like to point out why we were doing this. I was typing it up in my Excel sheet, and uh, I finished giving the Jazz a GPA of a uh, 3.14, and you're way down at 3.01. So for all the Twitter <laughs> listeners, I just want to point out I'm the more optimistic, positive person giving 3.14s out, and Brian's over here giving 3.01s out. So just a reminder, I'm the positive, optimistic one. If you want a 3.14 GPA, come to me. Welcome into Home Court Press Utah Jazz Talk Weekly Thursday edition? Thursday, I guess? I don't know. It's not the fun alliteration that I'm used to with Weekly Wednesday, but this is your host, Brian Priest, joined, as always, by McCade Pearson. McCade, how you been doing watching the finals and not having jazz basketball to worry about? Well, you know, I've watched a ton of uh, Olympic qualifying tournament. I've watched some of those uh, warm-up preseason games down in Vegas. I'm watching the finals. I'm hanging in there in my basketball of sanity. You know, I'm getting as much as I can. But did you watch the WNBA All-Star Game last night? I did not. I was hanging out with some friends. How, how can you even call yourself a fan of basketball? I watched it. I've seen more WNBA basketball since the Jazz got eliminated than I have NBA basketball. I will say I wish I would have bet on that because uh, Vegas, for about three, four hours there, didn't realize that it wasn't going to be an actual All-Star Game. And so they put their over-under at like 250 and then oh. after, like, half hour, they realized, like, oh, crap, wait, this isn't an all-star game. This is a USA versus a USA snubs game. Um, this is going to be a real game, and they moved their over-under from, like, 250 to 170. And so missed opportunity there for not slamming the under when they <laughs> thought it was going to be an all-star game for about half an hour. Way to go. You really dropped the ball. We could have made some money on that one. Uh, yeah, what can you do? You win hey, some, you lose some. to the uh, snub team for coming out and winning. You know, there were some players on that team that felt like they should have been on Team USA, and you know, felt snubbed, and they came out, and they showed up and picked up a fun little upset win. I love the WNBA, and I don't know if I'm in the minority on this one, but I think it's such fun basketball to watch because it's – I'm not comparing myself to WNBA players. They're far better than I am. But the type of game that is played, the game on the floor, down low – it just reminds me of playing pickup ball and things like that. It's not that eye-popping athleticism that makes you go, oh, my God, these are the same species as me. It's just a lot of fun. It's fundamental basketball. You can tell they love the game. And, yeah, I really enjoy watching those women play basketball. It was good. And, you know, they're going to go to Tokyo, and they're going to win another goal for the, and what is this, seventh straight time? Yeah, I think them, it's I the think? seventh straight time. I know they didn't win – in 92 was the last time they didn't win and then and they didn't win in 76 and other than that they've done pretty darn well so good for them and excited to watch them in the olympics basketball goes on year round these days and that's pretty great we'll hey, leave it at that for this opening segment one last thing about the wnba i wanted to mention when it comes to team usa and something to be aware of keep an eye on is that gino ariema has stepped aside he's been the the head coach of team usa for many years and now don staley has taken over and so i think that's going to be something worth keeping an eye on you mentioned the the six straight gold medals going for their seventh straight now talent wise obviously they are top of the heap compared to the rest of the world but having that shift from gino ariema and his leadership and probably right there with pat summit as the one and two best coaches in women's basketball history now Don Staley taken over and there's probably going to be somewhat of a transition period but I would expect that even with that loss to the the WNBA stars last night they're still going to have a, a relatively easy run to gold right oh yeah for sure women's basketball right now is kind of where men's basketball was 10 12 years ago where you'll have a team not like Spain in terms of the actual team, but you'll have a team a lot like the 08 and 12 Spain national teams where they'll push the U.S., but they don't really have a real chance of winning. And if they did, it'd be a massive upset. But the world's catching up, and there's some superstars from around the world that can push USA. And so we'll see where they're at you know, in three years and seven years and 11 years, but they should be able to walk to a gold this year pretty easy. Should we move on to the finals? Yep, let's do it. All right, man, we got this final series, Suns-Bucks tied 2-2. I just said a couple minutes ago I've watched more WNBA since the Jazz got eliminated than I have NBA basketball. What have been your takeaways from this series? I mean, Giannis has been absolutely superb. You've been on the Giannis is a top 10, top 15 player of all time for a couple of years now. You had a tweet, uh, what was it, two or three weeks, maybe a month ago, where you compared him to Shaq and got some patented McCade on Twitter blowback and... Now we look at some of his numbers in this series. I mean, he's joined Shaq as one of only two guys to have back-to-back 40-10 and 10 finals games, and they win two in a row. 
Giannis gets his signature moment last night, that block on DeAndre Ayton at the basket, that was incredible. The block was great just in and of itself, but the way he was able to defend two guys, force Booker to throw the pass, Booker threw the pass at the perfect time too, and Giannis still being able to recover and elevate enough to block that shot. What an amazing play. What was better, LeBron's block or Giannis's block last night? I think Giannis's block is better as just a base-level basketball play. I mean, obviously, LeBron's is in a tight game with a couple minutes left in Game 7 of the Finals. Um, but, you know, this was a Game 4 of the Finals and in a key-key moment in the final two minutes. But there's only two people in the entire world who can make the play that Giannis made last night. Yep. And those two people have combined to win the last four Defensive Player of the Year awards, and that's Giannis and Rudy Gobert. To be able to put the pressure on Booker up at the elbow, see the lob pass go over your head, turn around and somehow jump all the way back over there and block that shot, it's ridiculous. The whole NBA is built off pick and rolls and you know making basketball a two-on-one game. And when you have a player like that who can be that one playing two offensive players and still get stops like that, it's, that's how you win championships. That's how you find yourself tied 2-2 in the finals. So, you know, Giannis is fantastic. And as you mentioned, I've been slamming the enjoy these crazy, insane players while they're in their prime. We don't have to wait until their 12th All-Star game appearance to appreciate their all-time greatness. And Giannis is showing exactly why that is my stance on a lot of players. Because you mentioned the 40.10 rebound numbers. You know, you mentioned the efficiency has been out of this world. His defense is elite and all this fun stuff. And with the things Giannis are doing, you're just saying he's a great passer. You know, he had four assists, six assists, and eight assists last three games, if I remember correctly off the top of my head. And so the thing Giannis is doing is fantastic. Booker's been up and down the entire playoffs. You know, he was awesome last night. We can get into the fouls if you really want to. That was insane <laughs> that they didn't call that six foul. Um, my wife gave me a weird look when I started yelling at the TV. Dude, how bad is NBA officiating? <laughs> go listen to the Whistleblower podcast. You made me listen to it last week. and Go listen to it, and we'll... Uh, We'll discuss anyone who's listening to this podcast. Go listen to that one, and we'll talk on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, Chris Paul was awesome in games one or two. He struggled the last two games. But just overall, like, these are great, great players, great, great teams fighting for a championship. Nobody, for the first time since 1977, has a championship ring already. So these guys are even a little extra hungry. And this is, if you're a basketball fan, this is a fantastic series the very base level of just, I want to watch the best players in the world play for a trophy. This, it doesn't get better than this. And now we have a best two out of three um, game in Phoenix, game in Milwaukee, and then potentially a game seven. So great stuff. I'm so pleased and happy at where the NBA finals is at right now, because it's going to be a very, very fun two, three games here over the next week. You just blew my mind a little bit. I I probably should have realized this, and I at a glance, looking at the rosters, it makes total sense, but I didn't realize there's not a single active player in this series that has won an NBA championship. That's crazy. Yep, first time since 77, if I remember correctly, and only one player has finals experience. Um, and that was Jay Crowder in the bubble last year with the Heat. So outside of Jay Crowder at the bubble, you don't have one player in this series that, you know, been in front of a finals crowd um, and felt that moment where, you know, the entire world is watching you and you alone this, you know, for two weeks. So it's been a fun, fun series as everyone's trying to find their footing here at the highest level. And we've seen people rise to the occasion and fail, and a lot of players have done both of those things, and that's great for basketball. So I have one more question for you about this series, McCade, before we move on, and it's going to center around Chris Middleton. Uh, he's an all-star. I think he's, what, a two-, three-time all-star at this point. And he's played some great basketball in the playoffs at home in Milwaukee, but he's struggled and been pretty inconsistent on the road. What does it take for Chris Middleton to go into Phoenix for Game 5? I think it's scheduled for Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday. So what is it going to take for Middleton to be able to go on the road and have an effective game? Because I think, as I watch this Bucks team, that he really is the bellwether for how successful they're going to be. We know what we're getting from Giannis night after night, but Chris Middleton has been up and down. So how do the Bucks get him more involved offensively and really take it to the Suns in Phoenix, or is it just not something that's in the cards? I think you're spot on. He needs to come out, and whether it's Game 5 or Game 7, you know, have one of those games where he scores 25 points on good efficiency. Even last night, you know, he finished with 40 last night, but he was 15 for 33. Mm-hmm. He didn't get to the free throw line at all until, you know, he gets four free throws in the last two minutes because the Suns are fouling in you know, the last 30 seconds. And so even last night was one of those, he was good games, but he wasn't great. And then you look at the box score and he has 40 on 33 shots, which is weird and whatnot. And so 
he just has to look at these two games in Phoenix, games five and seven, and say, hey, if we can win game six at home, I just need to have a good game one of these two games. Just a good enough game that the top 15 player next to me can steal a game. Um, and he very well can, and that's why you know we get down to this stage of the season. It gets fun because you're a hot shooting night away or a cold shooting night away from losing or winning the championship at this point. So you just have to look at it and say, I just need one game. I don't need to have a great series. I don't need to do this or that. I just need to have one good game. I look forward to the final three games of this series. I mean, really, you break it down to its basic component parts, tied 2-2. This is a best-of-three series now, and the Bucks really they need just one game on the road from a guy like Chris Middleton or from Drew Holiday or somebody like that to be able to steal a game in Phoenix. And then on the other end, the Suns need that, that exact same thing. If they can get... Uh, 20 point performance, 12 assists from Chris Paul in Milwaukee in Game Six. They probably are NBA champions if uh, you know DeAndre Ayton can show a little bit more consistency. Last night he wasn't great, only scoring six points, three of nine from the field. But if he can have one of those 18 to 22 point games, get his you know 17 rebounds last night, 15 rebounds in a ball game, then. Both of these teams, they're really we're getting down to the point of the NBA Finals where it's those secondary role players and guys like that that really need to step up and just have one game, and that can put you over the top and win you a championship. And, and really even just one quarter, you know, one half, one yeah. seven-minute stretch, where if you can just stop and say, hey, if we can just, you know, because games, these games have been close. Um, you know, I don't think a team had a 10-point lead all of last night. Like, if you can just stop and have a seven-minute stretch where you swing a game from you're down four to you're up six, you know, that can totally swing the championship at this point, which is fun. You know, every possession matters. And you watch these games, you can feel every time they cross half court, okay, this is a big play, even if there's nine minutes left in the second quarter, which mm-hmm. is the, you know, biggest downtime in the NBA game. So it's great. Let's start bouncing around the rest of the league. Looks like we finally have an answer on what happened to Kawhi Leonard. Sounds like it was a partially torn ACL. Same type of injury that Spencer Dinwiddie suffered in Brooklyn earlier this year. So there's they haven't released an official timeline on this one, but the partial ACL tear typically is going to be a six to eight, maybe nine-month rehab and it's Kawhi Leonard, so we never really know what the rehab process is, who he's even working with. I, I think the Clippers might be happy to know who's, who he is working with on this one. But the big question with Kawhi is he's got a, I think it's a $36 million player option for next year. So does he exercise that option? Does he, does he exercise the option and then work on a four-year extension with the Clippers? I mean, what's... What's the plan here, McCade? And do you think he even plays next year? Because that six to eight month timeline puts him ready to play maybe around April, best case scenario next year. Yeah, we'll see. Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, had the same injury at the start of the season. He just got healthy um, a couple weeks ago. So theoretically, yeah, you should see wide news probably around the All Star break, and then he probably has uh, slurs into March or April would be the ideal dream if you're the Clippers fan. Um, but yeah, his contract situation is right here in two weeks and that's important so he can opt in and wait till next year and sign a five-year max deal if he wants to do that he could opt in and add four years 175 million if he wants to do that he can opt out and sign a four-year like 170 million dollar deal um so he's got a few options there i have no idea what he's gonna do um i would expect if i had to make a guess i would expect he opts out and signs a four-year max deal would be my guess so we shall see It'll be interesting. Um, either way, he's going to get paid a lot of money, and I'd be worried about that coming off the ACL injury. Do you anticipate that he stays in L.A., or is there going to be a bigger market? Yeah, especially with ACL. I'm not sure if Miami or Dallas wants to go give Kawhi Leonard. Did I go out again? Yeah, you just... Oh, you're back. Yeah, you cut out for just a second there if you want to restart that thought. Okay, I just turned off my Wi-Fi. Let's see if that helps. I don't know what that was. Um... No, yeah, I expect him back in L.A. Um, I'm not sure anybody wants to go sign Kawhi with this ACL news. Um, you just don't know how. He'll come back great. He'll come, I mean, we just saw what happened with KD and Achilles. But you never know if he's going to be that top five player again. Maybe he's a top 15 player instead. And then with Kawhi and his injury history, that's scary. And, you know, if you go out and sign him this summer, you're missing pretty much his whole first year, and that's frustrating as well. So I expect him back in L.A. Um, for variety of reasons and you know the main one being he's from LA and he signed there two years ago and I don't know why he'd leave so back to the Clippers for Kawhi 
two years ago, I think I would have agreed with you without question. But after KD tears his Achilles, the worst injury you can have in pretty much any sport, and then ends up signing a max deal with Brooklyn, it, it's hard to say that somebody wouldn't be willing to pay Kawhi, even if he he wanted to leave. Like say say Orlando, they've been talked about as a team that's interested in Kawhi Leonard. Would they be willing to pay him for a year while he rehabs that knee? I don't see oh, why sure. they wouldn't. So it would give them time to let that young roster continue to to develop, and then they know they have a star coming back, whether it's a top five player or a top fifteen player. You know the way the max contracts work in the league. Oh. You're he's going to make that money somewhere. It's just a matter of is it going to be L.A. paying him, or will it be another team? And he decides that pastures might be greener elsewhere. For sure, and I think obviously the Clippers are going to be willing to pay him, and I think he's going to want to go back to the Clippers. That's where I think he ends up for obvious reasons and variety of reasons. So I just mentioned and, the the Magic as, as you know a, a possible Kawhi destination, probably not likely, but somebody who we know is going to Orlando. Jamal Mosley has been named as the Magic head coach. He got a four year deal, and this is a guy who has been an assistant coach under Rick Carlisle for several seasons in Dallas was, for a brief period of time, sounded like a favorite to get that Dallas job. But now the Magic have hired him away. The word is that he and Luka are very close. So cue the Luka to Orlando rumors for the next couple of years. What do you think about this Jamal Mosley hiring? (laughs) Rick Carlisle walking into Mark Cuban's office and saying, hey, I'm leaving and going to Indiana. You're going to hire Jason Kidd. And that guy over there, instead of you hiring him, he's going to go to Orlando, is one of the key, like, hilarious moments of this offseason. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that Ricardo had that uh, power around the entire NBA to say, hey, I'm going to single-handedly decide three coaching hires. He's got that um, magic eight ball. What? He's got that magic eight ball making all kinds so. of predictions. But Mosley's a really good hire. Mosley's a great, Mosley's a lot like Quinn Snyder in the sense that he's a great player developer. He'll be patient. And if you're a Magic fan, you want a guy who's going to be committed for three or four years and willing to go through the rebuild process and the uh, second-by-second work that takes to rebuild a roster from you know the bottom of the NBA and rise them up. So this is a really good hire for the Magic, a really good opportunity for Jamal himself, and I'm excited to see how this uh, relationship plays out because I think that's one of the best deals we've seen this summer. I think Orlando has a lot of talent on their roster. Typically when you look at a team like what the Magic has been the last few years, you would think they're near the bottom of that NBA heat, but I think talent-wise, they're probably more in the middle of the pack, and it's just gonna. It, they need somebody who can draw that talent out and build on it with some of the guys they have on this roster. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is going to be coming back next year. Uh, Okoro, Isaac Okoro from Auburn, I don't think he played last year. He's a guy they really like. Markel Fultz will maybe yep. finally be healthy. Yeah, so they have a lot of pieces. I think this is a great situation for Jamal Mosley. And it's also nice because the expectations aren't very high. So it's not like if you struggle in year one, you're going to get the axe immediately. I think he's got some time to help build something in Orlando. So that's going to be one I'll keep an eye on. Uh, I wanted to mention Colin Sexton really quick, McCade. It sounds like he is available. Uh, Word is the Cavaliers don't want to offer him a max extension, which is what he's going to be looking for after his rookie deal expires following next season. Are the Jazz a possibility here? They shouldn't be. Um, he's basically just 80% of Donovan. He's, he's the exact same player as Doran Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell, just somewhere in between uh, yep. two levels, obviously. Um, and so there's just not a need for that. The Jazz don't really have anything to pay for that. Um, what's the word here? I don't know how bromanced up the Cavaliers and Jazz front office relationship is right now. Mm-hmm. After their three trades, are they looking to make a fourth? I'm not sure. Um, so we'll see exactly what happens though with him. He's a very acquired taste, but there is a couple teams out there that will have that taste for him and go out and get him. So excited to see where he ends up. As you mentioned, he's coming near the end of his uh, rookie deal, and with that comes a big pay raise. And so you don't necessarily want to trade for a player you have to pay, especially that much money. I don't think Colin Sexton should be a consideration for the Jazz. I mean, obviously, it depends on what you would have to give up. If if the Cavs wanted a second-round pick for him, I guess. I don't know if you would do it. You love your second-rounders. I don't have any of them. <laughs> but I just I don't think it solves any of the Jazz problems, would be the thing. It just puts another small guard next to Donovan Mitchell, completely offensively focused and while I I do like Sexton's game and it sounds like he's got an incredible work ethic and he's just a good guy 
I, I don't think it makes sense for this roster, but I do think it's worth keeping an eye on because depending on what happens with Colin Sexton, that may take some other teams out of the point guard free agency market like the New York Knicks. If they end up trading for Colin Sexton, are they still going to kick the tires on Mike Conley? Probably not. Or what if Dallas were to trade for Colin Sexton somehow? They're probably not going to be worried about Mike Conley at that point either. So I'm going to continue to keep an eye on the, the Sexton developments, but not because of what he could bring to the Jazz, but just because of who are going to be suitors for Mike Conley once free agency actually kicks off. And I think this Sexton situation has a lot to do with that. You know what I mean? Yep, and he only makes $4 million, and when those kind of players get traded, it can be hard to make money match and value match, and so it often takes a third or fourth team. And you'll always it's always a good idea to hop into a trade as a third or fourth team because that's where you can really get some uh, sneaky value. Ask Phoenix and Tory Craig. Exactly. So when, money, when someone's cheap, it's hard to get money and skill to both match. Um, so always opportunities there. Okay, McCade, we're at 24 minutes. You have six minutes or less to tell me about the U.S. Olympic team losing to Nigeria and Australia before they beat Argentina the other night. Okay, Nigeria's good. People don't realize that. Um, when the initial odds came out for the gold medal, I said Nigeria's probably one of the sneaky bets to win gold at 100-1 to because they're not – I mean, they have seven, eight legit NBA players. You know, Mione's on that team, and he's playing okay. Even the non-NBA players are guys with NBA experience. I want to say 10 of their 12 12- players that will make the final roster um, have NBA experience. And so this isn't a, oh, we just lost a whole bunch of random nobodies from a random African country. Like, Nigeria is really, really good, and they could have a few more players um, had some players made different decisions. Uh, Bam is a big one. Uh, mm-hmm. has dual citizenship with America and Nigeria, and he's obviously on the American team. So that's you know a legit all-star that could have been on this Nigeria team. That being said, USA shouldn't lose to Nigeria. They were 30-point favorites, which was always a little bit of a reach. But give Nigeria credit. They are a good team with good NBA players, and they're just getting better. And so this win is surprising and fun, but it shouldn't be shocking. Um, and then Australia just doesn't care anymore. Uh, Patty Mills has been around forever. This is going to be Joe Ingles' fourth Olympics. Um, you know, you have young guys in Thibel and uh, Dante Exum. You know, so this, this is a good NBA roster as well. They beat the U.S. Um, World Cup team a couple years ago in Australia, and they just don't care anymore. They've played USA eight, nine times in their careers at this point, and the awe factor of, oh, my gosh, you're playing USA is, is passed, and with that comes – confidence and now all of a sudden Australia's beat USA two out of three times over the last couple of years so I concern for USA sure Greg Popovich deserves some criticism absolutely uh, maybe Coach K deserves a little bit more credit for keeping USA teams taped together like he did in the past yeah but USA is still heavy favorites for gold they should still win gold and but at the end of the day you're three games and one loss out of those three games, and all of a sudden you're not winning gold. So fun, fun place for the uh, world to be in from a basketball standpoint. Any There's a variety of teams that could win the gold medal, um, the USA in the field. I would probably take the field at this point, um, despite USA being heavy favorites. I still think they have probably a 45% to 50% chance to win gold. But that means we have a 50% chance of a Luka Doncic or a Rudy Gobert or a Joe Ingles or, a, heaven forbid, Luis Scola or somebody coming through and, you know, pulling off a good upset when we get to the actual games that matter here in a few weeks. I, if I had to bet on it, I would absolutely take the field right now. This Team USA squad just they don't they don't look like they've ever played together. It's just a, a collection of all stars, which is great. They have a ton of talent, but they don't have a team. They're still missing three guys right now that are playing in the finals. Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton are all scheduled to join the team once the the finals end. And I think that's just another subplot that's going to be interesting to watch are all three of those guys going to want to jump right back into the Olympics after a a grueling four rounds of the playoffs and I have my doubts about all three of those guys joining the team but right now I just I look at Team USA they don't have a point guard they don't have international depth they don't have a center yeah and it's just and it's, That's what's killed them. It's a um, it's a problem for them. Obviously, they don't have they're not fielding their best team this year. But the way they put this roster together is it still Colangelo that's in in charge of Team USA? Yeah, he has a pretty heavy fingerprint. Man, I I just I I just look at the roster and and I would argue with the ideas behind the the building of different skill sets and things that they focused on for this team because I don't think it's built to survive international play. 
No, yeah, they definitely, and the, you know, the refs are calling it a little uh, more physical. People were a little different, and we'll talk about that next week, I think. But, you know, they don't, they probably should have taken a uh, Mike Conley, maybe, a little more point guardy, point guard. You know, you look at those past teams with Magic Johnson and John Stockton and Jane Williams and Chris Paul and Jason Kidd, they don't really have any of that pass versus point guard. Maybe Drew can be that a little bit more than Dame. And then they don't have a center. They should have brought Jared Allen, Miles Turner, um, maybe Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley might have been fun on this team. The, uh, Number two overall pick is who he looks like he's going to be. But they are just squished down into we have a whole bunch of wings, and that works a lot in the NBA. I'm not sure if it will work in FIBA. And yet they're still the most talented team. They should still win gold. But it will definitely be a fun Olympic experience here um, in just over a week is when it starts. All right, McKay, I think that's all I had for a look around the league. Should we take a quick break and then jump into Jazz Grades? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and we will be right back. Time out. How about this jazz? If you haven't had a chance, check out the Jazz Pod Co-op on Twitter. It's a group of podcasts with like-minded people that just want to share their opinions on the jazz. Here's a preview. Mark and Doug Hincy on the twos and threes. The weird things about dude shots is like my favorite like NBA subcategory of and like, or they're like the length of their arms affecting something. I, I'm, I'm like, whether they jump off of one foot or two foot. Right. Like, Emily and McCoy on the Jazz Gals. If anything, that video also reminded me like how just a few inches difference it was be- between us being on one side versus the other. You know, like, well, we all know a few inches can make a difference. Who, Logan and Jared on hitting the high notes. I don't even care if they're hurt. I mean, or they're, we're or not going to dance on any injuries, but yes. No, I, 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 I buy it. I, I, I can't make any promises. I don't even care if it's a fluke or we cheat. I don't even care. I'll take yeah. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? Um, yeah. That's what they say. And Brian and McCade on home court press. Quick point on Memphis is really struggling to shoot. So giving the boy on to the Grizzlies. And then having the Grizzlies forward our first-round pick onto another team. If you can get Boyan a first-round pick and then get Memphis to throw in a first-round pick in the and take Boyan, a lot of possibilities open for a guy like John Hall. Welcome back to Home Court Press. Brian Priest joined, as always, by McCade Pearson. We just got done looking around the league, talking about the Olympics, talking about Kawhi Leonard and his ACL surgery, the NBA Finals, of course, with the Suns and Bucks tied at two games apiece. But... McCade, this is a Utah Jazz podcast, so we have to dedicate a good portion of it to the Utah Jazz, right? Absolutely. So why not look back at the 2020-21 NBA season and just give our grades for each guy on this Jazz roster and going to give grades for the front office and the coaching staff as well. I think that part's going to get kind of interesting. Before we go too deep into this one, McCade, what was your grading criteria for this? How did you decide the the letter grade to give Rudy Gobert an A? I think that one's probably pretty unanimous. But for some of these other grades, how did you weight regular season versus playoffs, being available and playing all 72 games versus missing 12, 15 games, things like that? Like, What was the criteria you went through to come up with your grading? So if you would have told me what they did this year, if I would have gave a prediction preseason and they would have done exactly what I predicted preseason, I'd give them a B-ish. Um, okay. Anything up or down below that is disappointment or excitement of, hey, they did something more or less than I was expecting. And so with Rudy Gobert, like you expect him to have a borderline defensive player of the year year. Maybe he wins it, maybe he doesn't, kind of depending on how the narrative goes. And you know, you expect him just to do his thing, and he did that. But the Jazz were the number one seed this year. Um, a big part of that was Rudy Gobert, obviously. So Donovan Mitchell goes out for 20 games, and Rudy was fantastic the last 20 games to close out the season. And I don't think the one seed was in any of our – it was in our dreams, but I don't think it was in any of our realistic outcomes. And there's a reason the Jazz were the one seed, and that's Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley. All three All-Stars played better than I think we expected coming into the season. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair, and that's pretty similar to how I graded this. I had my – expectations coming into the year, which probably in the, the same realm as you was right, would have been right around a B for anybody just meeting those expectations. But I did wait the playoffs a little bit more. So for a guy like Mike Conley, who missed pretty much, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the entire second round against the Clippers, I did dock him for something like that. But overall, it was just what did I expect from, from each player? What did we actually get from them? And then what 
what was their actual role in that? Like, there's some guys at the end of the bench, and we'll talk about this more as we get to it, but do they get a low grade because they didn't play well? Do they get a low grade because they just weren't played and they didn't get opportunities? Or do you give them incompletes? Like, how do you do some of those things? But we'll discuss that as we get further along. All right, McKay, should we start with Rudy Gobert? Let's do it. I okay. do like Rudy. I have Rudy today. Got a little better than last year. Probably the best defensive player we've seen. Uh, defensive individual season we've seen in at least 10, 15, 20 years, if not ever. He did exactly what the Jazz needed him to do this year. I have very minor complaints, so I gave him an A. I also gave him an A for all the reasons you mentioned. He got his third Defensive Player of the Year award. In 100, or over the course of 100 possessions this season, Rudy averaged 22 points, 21 rebounds, and four blocks per 100 possessions all year long. Just incredible 2020 numbers. He was second in the league in blocks per game, field goal percentage, rebounds per game. Rudy was one of the best players in the NBA all season long, and he is the type of guy that the Jazz floor can only go so low with Rudy Gobert healthy and on this roster. So for those reasons, I felt like I had to give Rudy an A. What about Donovan Mitchell? I gave Donovan an A-. He was fantastic offensively this year. Didn't quite see a jump defensively. Um, Then, of course, the ankle injury and lingered in the playoffs for whatever reason, and there's a disappointing finish there, obviously. He was great in the playoffs, and yet at the same time, you saw his perimeter defense in the playoffs be a big reason the Jazz got eliminated the last two, three games, so they lost, and so I gave Donovan Mitchell an A- minus because they're just those minor defensive issues. As want to win a championship, he's going to have to become at least a neutral defender. I gave Donovan an A. I understand your A-, and I, I actually had down here, where's the defense? And This is a guy who was drafted talking about how the defensive end was the best aspect of his game, and we just haven't seen that over the course of his career. But when you're talking about the playoffs and the the defensive issues he had against the Clippers, I'm not going to fault him for that. I mean, the guy was playing on one leg, and he was doing so much offensively. He was doing more offensively than he had been over the course of the season when healthy. So I'm not going to take it away from him and give him an A- minus there. I got Donovan at an A as well with Rudy Gobert. Uh, a couple numbers as I was looking at Donovan's improvement this year and why he got an A. His playmaking, he averaged seven and a half assists uh, over 100 possessions. That was an increase of one and a half assists over last season, which I think was one of the big things we were looking for from Donovan is can he improve his playmaking and show the ability to be a point guard, which I think he did last or, or this season. And then shooting-wise, Donovan was great. He showed himself to be one of the best shooters in the NBA. He made nearly five threes per 100 possessions, and he shot the ball 2% better than he did last season as well with more defensive pressure on him, with more focus on the the game plan, and he still was able to improve his three-point shooting. I loved what we saw from Donovan this year, and it just makes me think that he's still going to be able to take another step next season because if if you can – increase your level of play that much in the playoffs at the level of health that Donovan was playing at this year, then I I can only see him getting better next year. All right, Mike Conley. I got Mike Conley as a B plus, and he would have been an A. Obviously, he makes the All-Star game for the first time in his career. He plays great all year. His, his minutes are pretty much matched with Rudy Gobert. But he shoots 41% from the three-point line. His plus-minus was incredible because he was matched with Rudy Gobert. But the big thing for me with Mike was he averaged a little over 9.5 assists per 100 possessions. That was 2.3 assists more than he averaged in 100 possessions last year. And I thought was the the real indicator of how much more comfortable he felt in this Quinn Snyder Utah Jazz offense. And if not for the hamstring injuries recurring, I, he definitely would have had an A in my book. Yep, I have him B-plus as well, similar reasons. Um, fantastic first All-Star team, but he wasn't there when it mattered. Um, not necessarily his fault in the sense of it's Mike Conley's fault, but it is his body's fault at the end of the day, and that's, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it is. And so you do have to be frustrated at that, even if there's no one to no one's actions to blame um, with that. Yeah, so now I've got Royce O'Neal. I also had Royce at a B-plus, and I'm kind of interested to see what your grade is here for Royce. I mean, you just look at what Royce is asked to do. He's undersized. He is tasked with 
defending the other team's best perimeter score night in and night out. I think he spent more time on the other team's best offensive threat than any other defender did in the NBA this year. He needs some help on the perimeter. If he could get a little bit of help and be able to conserve his energy just a little bit, that B-plus can easily go to an A-minus, an A. If he's shooting the ball well enough, that could even go up to an A-plus. He shot 38% this year, taking six threes per 100 possessions. I think that's probably about right for Royce O'Neal. You take those six attempts when the ball comes to you and you're open, shoot it. And for the most part, I thought he did really well with that this season. He did struggle at times and didn't want to pull the trigger. But for the most part, I thought this was probably the the best version of Royce O'Neal that we're going to get. And if he can just get a little bit of help on the perimeter, it's going to be that much better for him. Yep. Uh, right there with you. B plus. Um, but he'd shoot another two or three threes per hundred possessions. He feels he passes up some shots. But for the most part, there's not too much to pick apart there. But there's just also not a ton of great to ramble on about. So just a solid B plus. Uh, you appreciate the defense he does give you, even though that can disappear at times. Um, not much to complain about on the Royce O'Neal front. All right. Now, if I said to you the two most controversial players for the Jazz this season, who am I talking about next? Probably Clarkson. Okay. Be my first guess. What, what's your grade on Clarkson? I gave him a B. You know, he was fantastic the first six weeks of the season. He was really rough since February. Um, there's just uh, kind of like with Royce, um, there's just not a lot. His limitations, and I'll get into this more, I think, with the front office, but his limitations aren't his fault at the base level. You know, you can't get mad at a bishop in chess for not being able to move vertically and horizontally and only being able to move diagonally. And so you can't really grade him more than that because the expectations coming into the season were, yep, he's a chucker who scores a lot of points, doesn't play defense, we'll see what happens, and that's exactly what he did this year. And so I don't think you can really talk him up or talk him down based on who you expected Jordan Clarkson to be this year. And so you appreciate what he did, and that's, that's what he did. <laughs> I'm a little surprised you gave him a B. I thought he'd be more in the C range for you. I also had him at a B. I, looking at his numbers, comparing last year and this year, and even looking back over the last four or five years, Jordan Clarkson was basically, aside from that six-week stretch to start the season, Jordan Clarkson was exactly who he's been for the last five seasons. He did increase his scoring by a little under two points per 36 minutes, but otherwise, all the numbers lined up from who he was last year and the year before and the year before that. I mean, Jordan is a high-variance player. That's who he is. That's what we know we can expect. And I think, kind of speaking to your point a little bit, Jordan Clarkson's shortcomings, we know what those are and the the way that they showed themselves over the course of the season defensively and in the playoffs is more of a reflection on the Jazz and their front office and the roster building than I think it is on Jordan Clarkson. We know what he's going to do. We know he's going to score buckets and he's going to get burned defensively sometimes. So you have to be able to put a roster around him that if you're depending on Jordan to take 15 to 20 shots a game and score 17 to 20 points and play that six-man-of-the-year type of role, you have to put a little bit more defense around him. And that's really what it comes down to for me. The next guy I had here, also controversial, I got Bojan. What's your grade for Bogey? I have him a, a B-minus. Um, you know, scoring drops, he kind of disappeared a little bit. And yet, one of the key moments of the year is, you know, Dominic Mitchell goes down the last 20 games of the season, and the Jazz are trying to hold on the one seed. And Rudy Gobert and Boyan just both take their games to the next level and get the job done. You know, that Denver game comes to mind where he scores nearly 50 points and helps the Jazz get a key victory. And he, he did things he should have done. Um, it was impressive. But there's also times where he, you know, scored three points on one of five shooting. And you're mm-hmm. like, the three points is fine, but why is he only taking five shots? That's the real issue there. And so he just was a little too invisible at times for uh, my liking. So I gave him a B-. minus. I graded him a little bit more harshly than you did. I had him at a C plus. Overall, looking at his numbers, they were actually strikingly similar to last year. But what I thought hurt Bojan at times, hunting for fouls as he would go to the basket, hurt him all season long. It seemed like there were a lot of times where he was actually more focused on trying to get the foul call than he was on just making a shot, and that was frustrating for me to watch. He's always seemed more comfortable more comfortable when Conley, Mitchell, or Clarkson sit and he gets a few more touches. Not even necessarily more shots, just more touches to be in a rhythm. He's definitely a rhythm type of player. One thing that I couldn't dock him on at all was he's one of 11 guys, I think the number was. It might have been 13, but I want to say it's 11 
league-wide that played in all 72 games this season. The Jazz actually had two of them in Boyan and George Niang. And I'm just a big fan of a guy being available, even if he's a little bit inconsistent. We knew every night that Boyan was going to be in that starting five, and that was kind of a comfort. Thanks for tuning in today. It's season three of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest. An earlier-than-expected Jazz playoff loss can't get us down for too long. Look for our weekly Wednesday as we dive into full off-season mode, discussing Utah Jazz news, speculation, and rumors. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and on Twitter at homecourt underscore press. And please, if you like what you're hearing, share, rate, and review so we can expand our audience. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadeP8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. Take note. Now, back to the show. It was, and you know, that's one of the reasons the Jazz were so good, is they did a good job of staying healthy this year. Uh, Mike obviously missed a couple games here or there. Uh, and then you get Donovan Dankel injury, but Rudy played 71. He missed that back-to-back against the Lakers. You know, Joe played, you know, 66, I want to say, at the top of my head. But, you know, they did a good job of staying healthy, and Boyan hasn't missed any time with the Jets. I don't think he's – has he missed a regular season game? He missed that one yeah, game, he like missed game two or three with the concussion, right? He he missed one game. I, I want to say it was, like, the second game of yeah. last season with an ankle sprain. But, you know, that's it outside the bubble. And so you give credit for Boyan for being able to do that, and he's a – you know, kind of like Clarkson, he just is what he is, and it's hard to fault him or talk him up with that. And there's value in those types of players, though. Yeah, absolutely. It's that the consistency that I wish we could see from Boyan. We know what he he can bring to the floor. We just want to see that every night. Next guy I've got on my list, I've got Joe Ingles. I had Joe down as a B. He probably would have been higher if he hadn't been run into the ground because of injuries late in the year. Yeah, he was having a career year until those injuries hit with Mike and Donovan missing a bunch of games to end the season. And so much was put on Joe Ingles as far as playmaking and facilitating the offense. And he just he he can't be tasked with that much, especially in the regular season. I'd much rather have a healthy Joe Ingles in the playoffs and ready to go 30 minutes a game than Joe Ingles playing 35 minutes in the regular season against Sacramento in March. I, and that's that's kind of my thing with Joe. He was basically a zero in the playoffs, which is, what, the second, third year in a row that has happened. So it's becoming kind of a pattern, and I wonder if that's just the type of player that Joe is where you can take certain skill sets away in the playoffs when you game plan against it. Overall, Joe was good this year. He was a B. He was what I expected. We're going to have a couple disagreements over the next few players, I think. Um, I have Joe Ingles at A-. minus. I thought he was great. You know, second and sixth man of the year wasn't in my – realm of expectations heading into this year. He shot the lights out. You know, uh, was flirting with 70 shooting percentage there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was better in the playoffs than people think. He uh, he didn't step up when Conley missed uh, the Clippers series, but he still did his thing, and so we can sit here and debate, you know, should he be stepped up, or are we okay with, you know, just him being who he was in the regular season in the Clippers series? And that's where I think a lot of people have to stop and look at the numbers and watch the games and kind of figure out, like, was the frustration from Joe against the Clippers specifically? Is it because he wasn't playing bad? It's just that he didn't step up to what we needed him to be without Conley, and so that's a whole other conversation um, that you know you can sit there and I get where you're coming from for that being that reason. But I really look at you know the Jazz were the one seed, and their ability that the guys did step up when Don went down the ankle. I know I've mentioned it three or four times already, but I'm gonna mention it one more time that when there's there's no reason the Jazz should have probably been the number one seed when Don went down, and yet they just continued to keep winning because of Joe Ingles and Boyan and Rudy Gobert and those guys stepping up. So I appreciate that, and with that, and being second and sixth man of the year, I boost him up to an A-minus. I think that's fair. I, I'm not going to argue with you too much on that one, a, a B to an A-minus. With the way he was playing early in the year, I'll give you that. I won't give you too much crap over it. What about Derek Favors? I had him down as a C-plus, and basically... I, I loved the move bringing him back last year, and I'm not going to do this revisionist history and act like I thought it was the wrong move. I thought it was perfect, and I do think that what he added to the Jazz as far as the way David Locke talks about this all the time, the way Rudy was able to play so many minutes against bench centers, and Derek Favors was able to match up pretty well. The the problem is for 15 minutes a game, he's making too much money, and I wish the Jazz had spent that 
exception elsewhere. But when it comes to faves in the in the very end, the thing that sticks out to me is the head and the heart still seem to be there. It seems like he wants to be able to play at the same level he did for the Jazz in years past, but I just don't think his body is there anymore. Yep, and that's where I am. I gave him a B-minus because I'm nicer than you, and I guess I'm giving everyone a little higher grade than you. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, he... I was very strongly opinionated that back at five was never the real issue. It was always the perimeter defense, and back at five just took the blame for that. And I think that kind of showed itself a little bit more this year. Uh, you know, Favors was fine, and it was great. And at the end of the day, he was still the only player that was, you know, fighting to be a positive and plus-minus. And the reason for that is he's not Rudy Gobert, <laughs> and he never will be, and yep. no backup center ever will be. And so that's, as you mentioned, it's not worth spending $10 million a year trying to find someone to be Rudy Gobert off the bench. Um, and then at the end of the day, that's not his fault, though, and so you can't really hold that against him too much. And so I gave him a B-minus because he definitely wasn't the uh, borderline starter level we kind of hoped for. But he was he was good, and he was great in his role at 15 minutes a night, and he can do that for another two, three, four, five years, however long it ends up being, where he can play 15 minutes off the night as long as that uh, responsibility shrinks a little in the postseason against certain matchups. And so I don't really have anything against favors from this year. I might be able to put him at a B minus if he was making four million instead of nine. I guess. Yeah, and that's fair. All right, next guy I got on the list. I got George Niang. While you were talking about favors, I actually bumped Niang up. So I'm being nice out here, McKay. Don't tell anybody any <laughs> different. I got George at a B plus. If we're saying what we expected is a B. George definitely gave me more than I expected from him going into this season. He was great in the regular season, great shooter from the outside, does just enough to create on his own, has that little floater in the paint. Defensively, I thought he was more than passable all season long. But he's just not a playoff type of player. He's not that guy that's going to be able to give you 10 or 15 big minutes in round two. The playoffs seemed like they were a little bit too big for George, and that's just fine. He's going to get paid. He's going to make some money, and he's going to be playing for somebody else next year. And I'm okay with that. I have loved the George Niang experience and what we had with the Utah Jazz. Okay, I think I'm going to blow your mind here. I gave him an A+. Plus. That's wow. a backhanded compliment, though. Wow. Um, that's a backhanded compliment. He came out, he had 500 points on the air, shot 43% from the field. He was fantastic. He, you know, a good passer, one of the few guys that get the ball to Rudy. That bench lineup all year was dominant, um, and he was a big reason part of that because he, you know, played average defense and he was next to Rudy Gobert, which was really valuable. But that's a backhanded compliment because this is the absolute ceiling of George Niang. Yeah, that's fair. And he deserves to get that A-plus for being the absolute ceiling. But at the end of the day, when you're trying to win a championship, that's the absolute feeling of George Niang, and you're not going to get anything more than that. And so now you got to decide is what you saw, is that worth it to bring back for three, four, five million dollars, and you let him walk. But this is the absolute feeling of George Niang, so I gave him an A. Plus. I think that's fair. As a backhanded compliment. Hey, it's the only clear. time George Niang is going to get an A plus and an NBA grading. So I'm on board with it. I'm here for it. Like, let me be clear, it is a backhanded compliment that that was his A+, but he does deserve to get that A+. No, you're 100% right. This is the apex grace moment for George Niang. He's not going to be better than this in, in the NBA, but it was a great season. And like I said, he's going to get paid. He earned himself a contract. I bet George Niang is making more than $7 million a year next season. Yeah, no, it would not shock me at all if one of the teams out there with a little bit of cap space said, hey, when he is a shooter, let's bring him in. Yep. And I said he can handle the ball a little bit. He's a good passer. Like You could expand his role a tiny bit, um, depending on exactly what kind of offense you're running. But that, that's my uh, closing opinions on Niang is the A-plus of a legend, I guess. All right. These next guys I think we'll move through pretty quickly. Ersan Ilyasova, I gave the guy a C. I mean, probably I should have given him a B with, with our grading criteria. In my mind, he filled a roster spot, no more, no less. Yep, that's where I'm at. He lived up to expectations, but he didn't uh, surprise them and do anything in person in the playoffs, so whatever. Okay, Mia Oni. I've got Mia at a C-. minus. The three-point shot just wasn't good enough this year. He plays. This is something you and I have talked about, too. He plays, it seems like, a little too fast, and that can lead to fouls at times. But the, the key thing with Mia Oni, and I did dock him a little bit on this one, though it's not necessarily his fault, the kid just needs to play. He needs to get on the floor and get some time and get an eight-minute stretch and be consistently in a rotation to see if he has the ability to be an NBA player. He's got all the tools 
I just don't know if he's going to be able to piece them together, but we're never going to find out if he can piece them together when he doesn't get consistent playing time. Yeah, I have missed C-plus, but similar reasons that is. So kind of going to back to what was my criteria for these bench guys that didn't play as much, I started them off as a C and said, hey, if you can get rotation minutes, I'll give you a B. Um, it's kind of where I had these okay. bench guys. Um, and Mione did that to the point where anytime there was any sort of injury, he was the guy who got those rotation minutes. And so for that, I bumped him up to a C-plus because he played fine. He fouled too much. The shooting wasn't quite there. But the defense was solid. He was good. He filled in for that bench lineup really, really well. On that bench lineup was still great with him on the court, which has value. But he wasn't, he didn't break out in the way we needed him in the playoffs, and that was kind of disappointing. So I gave him a C plus. So here's a me only question for you: His contract next year is guaranteed. I think the first week of January. Does he make it to that date? And do the Jazz guarantee that deal, or is he finishing next year on a different team? I believe he finishes next year on the Jazz. But the Jazz' goal should be this offseason should be let's get to a point where we feel comfortable cutting Mione in January. Let's get enough perimeter defenders that we can cut him. And the reality is they probably won't get to that level, and that's okay, and they can keep him, and that's fine. But that should be the mindset of, hey, if we can get comfortable enough to cut him, then we're, then we're doing well. So I do expect him to finish next year on the Jazz, though, when it's all said and done. All right, Jarrell Brantley, what do you have for him? I gave him a C. We just didn't see anything from him that, I mean, so I guess I could give him even lower than that. Um, but he just didn't break out. And with all that comes a lot of C's and C minuses that, hey, you had your small chance for whatever reason and you didn't impress, whether it was in practice or in games, and now you're probably not coming back to the Jazz, at least not in uh, any significant role by any means. So I gave him a C just because there's just nothing there. I think the next two or three guys we're going to talk about are prime indicators of what the disconnect was between Dennis Lindsay and the front office and Quinn Snyder and the coaching staff. Jarrell Brantley, I gave him a D. Uh, in my mind, either the guy deserves minutes because he sure as hell has the NBA body and he plays hard enough, so he deserves the minutes or he shouldn't have a contract. So if Quinn isn't going to play the guy, I don't know why he was on this roster. That's exactly where I'm at a lot of these guys. Is Okay, you have this player that you could potentially use in this kind of situation, and then we just never saw him in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether we want to blame the coaching staff or front office on that, that's a conversation on in, the, in and of itself. And the the exact same situation with this next guy, Jawan Morgan. We saw him play some small ball center minutes in the bubble last year, and whether it be injuries or illness, he just never was able to crack the lineup at all this season. So I gave Jawan Morgan a D, and frankly, I'd be kind of surprised with the lack of playing time that he got if he's back next year. Yep, and I gave him a C-, um, probably should get him lower grade, actually, because that exact same thing. Like You got to start in the playoffs last year, and you couldn't get more than 150 minutes this year. Like, come on, you've got to be better than that, or else yep. why are you on this roster? Yep. You know, he's a guy that Jazz very well sh- probably should have cut in the middle of the regular season, and gone signed out a veteran or something like that if they weren't going to use him in the playoffs at all. Completely agree. The next guy, so polarizing in Jazz Nation, Matt Thomas. I got my guy Matt Thomas at a D plus. He did have a good game against Sacramento. <laughs> Matt yeah. Thomas. Matt Thomas Woo. should not be in the NBA. I have him at a C minus. Yep. Just, I put the over under at 200 minutes for him, and he's at 134, but he's probably going to get cut here pretty soon. So, Hey, if Quinn Snyder used blowout minutes to get guys' experience, Matt Thomas could have gotten to 200 minutes. Uh, he might. We'll see if they cut him or not. <laughs> All right. Next guy, last year's first round pick, Big Doke. Where do you have him graded? I give him a C. The injury obviously didn't help, and he wasn't great, but he played. 57 minutes, but that's not his fault. I mean, where did the Jazz think he was going to get minutes? They had Rudy Gobert. They were planning to find a backup center and ended up being Derek Favors. I'm sure they had a good idea of that at the draft. And the you know four games Derek Favors missed, they went with Ron Morgan off the bench instead of Adoka. So I don't know what else to say there. Then he played 57 minutes this year, and so not love, not hate, more hate to pick than the player himself. This is the only player I didn't give an actual grade to. I've got incomplete for Azubuki because when he was on the floor in those 57 minutes, he looks like he belongs in the NBA. I don't know if his game is going to translate very well or if the free throw shooting is ever going to allow him to get consistent minutes on an NBA floor. But that injury just completely derailed him in the in the bubble. I'm going to leave Doak as an incomplete just because he did get that first-round pick status but wasn't ever really healthy enough to show that he deserved it or could contribute to this Jazz team. 
So this other guy I just mentioned his name, Elijah Hughes. I really like Elijah Hughes, but I don't think I could give him any more than a C just because he didn't get very much playing time either when he did play. He did what he's good at. He shoots the ball and he makes shots. He just didn't offer anything else. Hopefully his defense improves and next year he can be a, a rotation contributor. I just am a little nicer than you. I give everyone a little bit higher of a grade. I gave him a C plus. I thought he looked pretty good in the G League. Um, and there might at least be something there and that has some value. So I went out of my way and I gave him a C plus. And then I got Trent Forrest. Now Trent's a guy I gave a C plus to. I might be biased on Trent Forrest, but if he can develop anything resembling a shot, that guy's an NBA point guard. I gave him a B. I thought really? he was good. Like, okay. He played minutes. You know, he got 300 minutes, 11th highest on the team. And if you get that out of a two-way guy, um, that's impressive. Uh, it wasn't always pretty. The offense struggled at times, but good defensive player. And you know, if you can get a two-way guy to step up and give you 300 solid minutes, I think that's a that's a win. Um, he and I talked about how I started with a C, and Trent Forrest 100% earned a right to be on this team next year. Whether it's back as a two-way guy or if he's able to slide into the 15th spot on the roster, um, we'll see. But I think he's for sure back and. If you for sure back next year, I think that has a lot of value <laughs> in this sort of ranking type thing. I'm still saying I, I'm probably wrong at this point, but I'm going to keep saying it. I think Trent Forrest is the backup point guard for the Jazz next year, and I love the idea of it. Hopefully that guy's shooting a thousand shots a day right now. Something really could be good from him if they make him shoot five for each game in the league. Yeah. All right. Do we, we don't have any more players to go over, do we? Uh, I gave Shaq Harrison this. Yeah, Shaq I'm not going to I'm not going to grade Shaq Harrison. You get cut, then you get nothing. Yeah, we're we're good on the Shaq Harrison. What uh, was your grade for Daryl Brantley? Uh my grade for Brantley was a D. I wish I wish he would have played more and like I said previous either he deserves to be on the floor or he shouldn't have a contract and he should be playing in Europe working to get back. That's that's where I was with Brantley. All right, let me ask you the the last two here. Do you want to go coaching or front office first? Let's go coaching. Okay. I'm curious what you're going there. I gave Quinn a B as far as coaching. Um, it, it might, no, I think a B, a, a B is very fair. I mean, this team moved from a five seed up to a one seed this year. They were never expected to be in the running to have the best record in the NBA. But the playoffs, Quinn got outcoached. I, I thought he got outcoached in both of those series. I, I thought that Taylor Jenkins with Memphis was better than Quinn. The Jazz just had a lot more talent. I thought Ty Lue was very clearly better than Quinn as far as adjustments go. Now, Quinn was coaching with one hand behind his back because of the injuries to Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. They just didn't have some of the options that you would have hoped for. But it also just didn't seem like he tried a whole lot. And that was that was my problem with the coaching this season is I didn't feel like Quinn was making an active effort to develop guys at the end of the bench. And then when it really came down to it, I just didn't think he adjusted very well. Yeah, I give him a B plus. Um, again, because I just, I guess, always give one nicer grade than you. Um, because I thought Quinn is a great off-season coach. He works in the off-season, so okay, we're going to do this instead, we're going to do that instead, we're going to do this. And that, I think, has the biggest impact in terms of adjustments is what adjustments do you make in the off-season? But yeah, you get in-season, specifically in the playoff series, and there was stuff that you know wasn't great, was left to be desired. And you mentioned that the assets he had to work with obviously weren't the best. But you know, going to Rudy Gobert, uh, the uh, three, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but three times a half on the bench lineup, that was fantastic. The shooting more threes, I thought, was fantastic. Um you know, the he got everything to work a little bit better, um, and he deserves credit for that, and the coaching staff deserves credit for that. The uh, player development wasn't quite there. The playoff adjustments weren't quite there. Um, but he still finished top three in coach of the year, and that felt right. Third place felt about right for him this year. And so I gave him a B-plus and thought he was just fine and far from the problem. That being said, you needed an A performance from him this year. He didn't give it to you, and so with that comes probably being on the hot seat next year. Mm -hmm. But the hot seat can be a good thing. People think, oh, being on the hot seat, that means you hate the guy. That means you want him fired. But, you know, just a little heat in the kitchen could uh, be good for Quinn Snyder in the front office to really come out next year and give their best effort and their uh, little more bold and risk-taking effort than they probably have done in recent years. Okay, so if you gave Quinn and the coaching staff a B-plus, what'd you give to the front office? I gave him a C minus. Um, Interesting. Okay. I just they did the short term look and the uh, base level of things. They've done great. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Dennis Lindsay. He was fantastic as the Jazz 
general manager um, for his tenure, especially the first four or five years. He did a lot of things right, a lot of little moves right. You know, the Enos Canner trade, the uh, Andre Beatrice trade. Can I label the Andre Beatrice trade? Oh, um, please. The Beatrice trade was, trade no, was no, huge. He, they did a, he did a great, great, great job of building this team. But you got to this year, and you just took your foot off the gas when you needed to slam it down on the gas even more. You know, the Adoka pick over Desmond Bain isn't great. The uh, Derek Favor signing isn't great. You can be giving away four player options in one offseason in, you know, a week and a half. That's not great. That shows a very a big lack of uh, negotiating skills. Like, there's no reason you should be giving Derek Favors or Jordan Clarkson a player option in a million years. Um, and then in the middle of the season, you just you, you trade it for Matt Thomas. Like, come on. You gave away a 2021 <laughs> second-round pick for a guy who's going to be off the roster in a week and a half. So he, I feel like they just took their foot off the gas and they needed to put the pedal to the metal. And with that, you know, comes a little disappointing C-minus. And it's not that they're bad, but they're not good enough. And I think that's why you're seeing the changes you're seeing is this was a good chance for the Jazz to win the championship, and they just kind of saw the finish line and stumbled a little bit. See, now I'm not quite as harsh on the front office as you are. I gave them a B minus, but it's for a lot of the same reasons. And I just breaking it down to a, a very basic idea here. I just didn't think that Dennis Lindsay and the front office did enough to give Quinn Snyder options off of the bench. Signing Ursan Eliasova was was great on paper, and you love the idea of having a backup five, but. To me, it just seemed like, especially with the news that has come out over the last few weeks, there was just a, a year, maybe two-year-long pissing match between Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder, and who is going to come out on top? Oh, well, Dennis wants to draft Azubuki, and it sounds like nobody else in the front office wants him, so Quinn is just going to be kind of a pain in the ass and not give Azubuki the, the time to try and develop. And we can look at the Matt Thomas trade, the same type of thing. Dennis Lindsay obviously felt like they needed more shooting on this roster for some reason at the trade deadline. I still can't figure that one out, but Quinn wasn't willing to do that, and these guys just weren't working together. And to me, I think that if you're you're going to acquiesce to one side or the other, you've got to give the nod to coaching because those are that's those are the guys who are putting the players on the floor in the the best chance to succeed and I think the coaching staff did that a little bit better than the front office did. So we sit at a B minus on that one, but that's that's kind of fluid too. I thought they they built a good roster. They just didn't get the back end of the roster good enough to be able to seize this opportunity at a championship this year. All right, McKay, did you get anything else for us today, man? I'd just like to point out why we were doing this. I was typing it up in my Excel sheet, and uh, I finished giving the Jazz a GPA of a three point one four, and you're way down at three point oh one. So, for all the Twitter <laughs> listeners, I just want to point out I'm the more optimistic, positive person, giving three point one fours out, and Brian's over here giving three point oh ones out. So, just a reminder, I'm the positive, optimistic one. If you want a three point one four GPA, come to me. <laughs> I, I think that anybody who just follows the two of us on Twitter would disagree with you there. But I've always said you're much more reasonable on the podcast than you are <laughs> in 160 characters or whatever the limit is on Twitter. <sighs> I'm not that hard of a grader, McCade. Come on, man. You, you barely gave a B average. <laughs> well, they got to earn the B average. I'm not giving out grades. I'm to a B plus. Come um, on. I do think overall, though, you know, I can sit here and run joking numbers all day, and I think we can both agree that this season, for the most part, comes out between a B-plus and a B. That yep. the better season was great. We had a ton of fun. It, I enjoyed it, regardless of how the outcome is. I'll look back on the season. It was a fun, enjoyable season. But at the end of the day, the playoffs are going to leave a bitter taste in our mouths for years and years and years to come. Um, because... It, we kind of felt it in the moment. We talked about it countless podcasts throughout the year. You know, hey, perimeter defense is still an issue. Is this still going to work in the playoffs? Yada, yada, yada. And we got there, and it kind of fell apart a little bit. Not to the point where we can't repair it and fix it for next year, but to the point where it was frustrating and, you know, we're still kind of angry about it. So I think a B-plus for the season for the Jazz is right, and I think we got that right. That You know, this was a fun year. We should look back, and this should be a year that ages super well, that 20 years down the line we'll look back at this as a great year, even if uh, the playoff lost us things. So, McKid, where can they find your, your positive and always completely reasonable takes on Twitter? <laughs> find me on Twitter, at McKid P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. I am a positive person, and uh, I'll give out my A-minuses and B-pluses more than Brian's Bs. So. 
McCade, McCade Pearson, ever the Utah Jazz optimist. If you're ever looking for positivity on Twitter about the Jazz, you know McCade is the guy to follow. <laughs> and you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. You can also find Home Court Press at homecourt underscore press. If you like what you're hearing, please remember to... Like, share, rate, and review the podcast so more people can find it. We always love being able to spread this one around. But, McCade, I think that's going to do it for our jazz grading. Next week, we are still working on a guest to do some Olympic previews. Hopefully, we're going to get a guy with some international playing experience to come on and join us. Uh, So we'll, we'll go through all of the Olympic conversation there. And then the week after is free agency, right? Yeah, it's coming up quick. Just two weeks from today. And, uh, you know, season starts in six and a half weeks, seven, or seven, seven, eight weeks is training count. So it's coming up quick. Okay, so the next three weeks are planned for us. we got Olympic stuff next week, draft coverage the week after, and then we'll jump right into free agency. And, uh, you know, mid-August, we might take a week off or so as we get into kind of the doldrums of the off season. But the next three weeks at the minimum are packed with NBA and Utah Jazz content. So... Thanks for tuning in to Home Court Press. Continue to check it out, and that'll wrap us up with a take note. Yeah. Hey, take a quick look at Snyder. Now take a quick look at Spider. Since so wait, yeah, I've been a rider. Utah Jazz keep getting higher. Damn, all I can say now is whoa. Royce with the D, Royce with the O. One thing Jazz Nation gotta know. Clarkson's nickname is on the road four more threes from jiggling joe my breath stopped with donovan gone but ingles came out looking like lebron like damn conley with the midas touch bogey drops 30 yeah that's clutch utah jazz is doing their thing my all-star vote hashtag niang i do not like the lakers i just like d favors utah jazz they rock my socks go bear i love you and i love all your blocks are we surprised this is a year we collect our prize 2021 utah jazz champs heard it here first now blast this jam like damn it's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the egg bomb crew just one by 30? What you gonna do like that? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the egg bomb crew just one by 30? What you gonna do like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the egg bomb crew just one by 30? What you gonna do like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the egg bomb crew just one by 30? Hold up, hold up. Coming wrong strong. Darvin, 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 Darvin,